Welcome to Credit Hour, a weekly thought-provoking conversation with the brightest minds from the University of South Dakota. They get the credit, we ask the questions. This is Credit Hour. On today's episode of Credit Hour, we speak with Brendan Johnson, a former U.S. attorney for the District of South Dakota, about Amendment A, marijuana reform. Brendan, how are you this morning? I'm doing great, Mike. Thanks for the opportunity to, to, to be on the podcast. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's an honor to be here and, and hopefully connect with uh, some of the USD law school students. Um, you know, we really appreciate you obviously coming on and sharing your expertise, but first, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself? You bet. So uh, originally from Vermilion, South Dakota, and then uh, my father was in Congress and later in the Senate. And so that was at a time when uh, Congress was in session four days a week. So our family moved out to the Washington, D.C. area, and I went to junior high and high school out in D.C. I came back with my undergraduate uh, at the University of South Dakota, so came back to Vermilion. Um, Then um, went uh, uh, went to law school at the University of Virginia. Came back to South Dakota. I clerked for federal judge Karen Schreier. Uh, while she was out in Rapid City, did that, um, and then was a state court prosecutor uh, for a couple of years in Minnehaha County, so Sioux Falls. Uh, following that, I was a, a partner with uh, Russ Janklo, Scott Abdallah, uh, Scott Hydeprim, um in Sioux Falls. Left that to become U.S. attorney in 2009. Had that job until 2015. Uh, when I joined the law firm Robbins Kaplan. And Robbins Kaplan, Mike, they've got about 250 lawyers uh, across the country, and they hired me to open up their Sioux Falls office, uh, as well as another U.S. attorney, uh, one of my dear friends, Tim Purden, and Tim was the U.S. attorney in North Dakota, and so he opened up the North Dakota office for Robbins Kaplan. And so uh, I now uh, chair Robbins Kaplan's uh, Government and Internal Investigation Group, as well as our American Indian Law and Policy Group. Um, and I'm, I'm out of Sioux Falls, uh, but really kind of a national practice where we do some South Dakota cases. We have some South Dakota clients, um, but also uh, clients stretching uh, currently from, from New York to L.A. and, uh, and everywhere in between. Uh, so really kind of an eclectic law practice now, Mike. You, know, you mentioned that you graduated from USD, I think, in 1998. Do you have any favorite stories from that era? Oh, you know, the, the one bit of advice I give to, to law students, in my experience, people ask about, um, you know, what, what are the most important classes that, that you studied, uh, particularly for, you know, when it comes to both law students and then young lawyers. And I tell people, you know, the, the best classes you can take are ones where you learn to write. Um, and probably the, the best experience I had professionally at the University of South Dakota was just taking the different essays, the different pieces of writing that I would do, um, and, and reviewing all the comments I got from the professors and, and using that to really teach me, um, teach me how to write. Uh, and I think that, that that's probably the most important skill um, for young lawyers uh, is learning to write well. Um, and so that was uh, uh, probably what I got more out of USD than, than just about anything. Um, well, you know, one of the reasons we wanted to bring you on today um, was specifically to talk about Amendment A. You were lead counsel um, for Amendment A. I guess just initially, what is Amendment A? So 
Amendment A um, legalizes uh, the recreational use of, of marijuana in South Dakota. Um, when I was approached about this, there was already an effort in place um, for an initiated measure, which is a statutory change uh, that had been pushed to legalize medicinal marijuana in South Dakota. Um, but there was also interest in in decriminalizing marijuana in South Dakota and going further than a statutory change where folks had worried, you know, if this is just an initiated measure changing things statutorily, uh, that you could have the state legislature come in and and try to gut uh, uh, that that statutory change. So there was interest in decriminalizing uh, marijuana um, and and uh, legalizing it recreationally and putting it into the state constitution. And so they approached me about that effort, and myself and one of my colleagues here in our Sioux Falls office um, uh, went to work on, on assisting them in, in drafting that constitutional amendment. You know, I, I wonder if you can tell us about some of the details. I mean, is it like alcohol? How old will you have to be to be able to possess marijuana? Um, you know, how much marijuana will you actually be able to possess? Do you have any of the details on that? Right, right. No, good questions. So uh, we tried to, when we were drafting this legislation, this amendment, uh, we looked to the the framework in other states where they had uh, ended the prohibition on, on marijuana and legalized recreational marijuana. Um, and what we tried to do is to create really a, a very uh, robust regulatory infrastructure. So the way that we have this set up is that you must be 21 or over in order to possess marijuana. Um, you can only possess up to one ounce at a time. Um, the uh, marijuana operations will be uh, regulated by the Department of Revenue in South Dakota. People will need to have a license um, in order to cultivate it, transport it, um, uh, sell it, um, to, to sell it as well. You, you'll need licenses for all of that. Um, and municipalities uh, have it within their power to to ban dispensaries within the community as well. So there's a great amount of local control with this uh, with this amendment, and that's how we set it up. Yeah, I, I want to talk a little bit about how this will actually get implemented. But just to address, I guess, the substance of, of legalizing marijuana, why did you back this proposal? Well, and, and that's a good question, Mike. And, and we'll take a step back and look at the history in terms of legally how we got here, right? Because um, I think that explains my, my interest in it as much as anything. When I was U.S. attorney, um, I was part of a group called the Attorney General's Advisory Committee. And that consisted of 13 U.S. attorneys from around the country. And we would advise the Attorney General of the United States on um, significant policy issues. One of the issues that came up was uh, when Colorado, um, and then you had Oregon and Washington State, legalized um, marijuana in their states. And so, of course, it remained, it remained uh, and is today illegal under federal law. So at the Department of Justice, we were, we were at, uh, we were forced to make a decision. Were we going to challenge the states who had legalized this and say that they did not have the power uh, as long as it was illegal under federal law? 
that they didn't have the power to do this? Or did we uh, not want to challenge it and allow the states utilizing their police powers to make uh, these decisions for themselves? What we decided to do was um, not to challenge it in court. And um, we produced something that at the time was called the, the Cole Memorandum. Cole Memorandum uh, was named after the, uh, the Deputy Attorney General of the United States at the time, Jim Cole. And what the Cole Memorandum did was it said, look, federal law enforcement is not going to um, crack down on, on marijuana. We're not going to go after these dispensaries. Um, or people who possess small amounts of marijuana. So long as the marijuana is not connected to organized crime, people aren't um, using it uh, as uh, with, for example, uh, while they're connected to crime or that while they have a, a loaded weapon with them, um, so long as it's not getting in the hands of children, so long as it is you know, being uh, appropriately licensed and controlled and not going into other states. And so what we decided was, you know, to go with this Cole Memorandum and essentially say to the Department of Justice, so long as states are doing this right, uh, we're not going to crack down on that. Um, and so uh, we saw this framework that had been put in place and, and uh, had been successful in other states. And uh, for me, I decided, uh, I felt, you know, it's time for South Dakota to look at ending this prohibition, particularly considering, you know, we have an awful lot of marijuana arrests in South Dakota. In fact, 10% of all arrests in South Dakota are for marijuana, and usually for very small amounts of marijuana, um, like less than, than a few grams of marijuana. So I felt like it was time that we ended the prohibition in South Dakota as well. You know, what about those who would say that just drugs are bad, that any drug you know, is bad? We shouldn't condone this type of behavior, that it might lead to maybe even more drug, you know, dangerous drug use. How would you respond to that? Um, well, there's no question that we can make that argument when it comes to um, to any sort of, of drug. We, we could certainly say the same with alcohol. We could say it with, with tobacco. Um, we could say it with, with much harder drugs. And we could also make the same argument, of course, that those drugs um, could lead to the use of, of other drugs. Um, but what we've seen um, throughout our history as a country um, is regardless of how you feel about a drug, prohibition isn't isn't the answer. Uh, we certainly saw that with uh, with alcohol as well. Uh, in fact, what prohibition often does is it leads to unregulated black markets. Uh, and and what we've seen in other states is is that when you do have this well regulated by the government. Um, that that you can actually cut down on the amount of use uh, by minors. You can make it actually harder to get because you really dry up the the black market. Um, and so it's um, it's really not so much as, as saying, hey, you know, everyone should go out and and use marijuana, uh, but rather a recognition that you know prohibition has not worked in our country, uh, and rather than putting people in in jail. Uh, for using something like marijuana, um, what we should do is really shift priorities and have a look at this less as a law enforcement issue um, and more as a personal choice issue and, and also have resources available for people um, who might, um, with, with drugs, you know, such as alcohol, 
um, abuse them, have have rehabilitation programs and that sort of thing uh, more readily available. You know, what would be some of the benefits um, for Amendment A when it's implemented? You know, to me, some of the biggest benefits are, you know, one, from a social justice perspective. In my view, Michael, we'd lock up too many people in our country. Uh, we lock up too many people in South Dakota. Uh, and we are seeing in, in places like Minnehaha County and, and Lincoln County, where we're continuously building new, uh, bigger, and more expensive jails. And we're devoting more and more of, of our budgets um, to you know law enforcement and, and incarceration. Um, so from a financial perspective, I think it makes a lot of sense to end the prohibition. Um, but again, with the social just, justice issues, I mean, the, the reality is we are criminalizing almost an entire generation of, uh, of young people. Uh, and, and that has, you know, huge effects. And, and frankly, not only young people, but minorities in South Dakota have been disproportionately affected by this. Um, so I would like to see us uh, as a community putting fewer people in jail both as a social justice as well as an economic uh, issue, um, I think that's uh, that's in our best interest as a state going forward. You know, uh, Brendan, are there going to be any particular impacts that you foresee um, just with tribes and how they might uh, deal with Amendment A? Yeah, this is going to to have a, a great impact on on tribes. You know, going back um, a few years now, we saw the Flandreau tribe um, in South Dakota. Uh, who was interested in getting into the industry and and had set up a greenhouse. And they were shut down by state and federal law enforcement uh, because uh, uh, with the coal memorandum, they were prohibited from selling cannabis that could go into a place, uh, into a community where it it was illegal. And so the idea was they could not do this within the boundaries of South Dakota because you'd have so many South Dakota citizens coming in, uh, non-tribal members, to buy cannabis. Now with it becoming legal in the state of South Dakota, uh, tribes uh, will be open for business. Those that want to get into the cannabis industry can do so and can sell it to people uh, who don't live on the reservation. So this is an opportunity for a great economic impact for our tribes. Uh, and you look at places like Flandreau, uh, Far, far ahead of most communities in South Dakota in terms of setting up their own infrastructure around cannabis. Um, so I think that they have a head start here. I think that this will be a really great opportunity for economic development for our, for our tribes. Uh, and as someone who is a strong proponent of tribal sovereignty and tribal economic development, frankly, I think it's great. I think it's great that they've got a head start, and I think this is going to uh, really help their economies. You know, you had talked about the Department of Revenue being involved um, with some of the regulatory aspects of, of Amendment A. You know, how will, I guess, marijuana be taxed? What will the taxes be used for? Set up um, so that it will be taxed at a 15% rate. Um, and, and that was part of Amendment A. And, and the concern was that it, if we had no boundaries on how much this could be taxed. We could have a state government, which is, you know, our, our state leadership is, is uh, vocally opposed uh, legalizing marijuana. But what they could do is they could effectively tax it out of existence. And they could say, okay, well, you, you passed this, um, but now we're going to tax it at 
500% and make it so expensive that, that actually, you know, uh, no one is going to a dispensary to purchase it. So we, we capped it at 15%. And then we said with that 15%, it would be split between uh, uh, the uh, general budget, going towards the general budget of South Dakota, as well as um, uh, to education in South Dakota. It would be split that uh, in that way. Um, so that the money would go half and half to teach. Um, Brendan, what about hemp, I guess? Will hemp be legal in South Dakota because of Amendment A? Uh, yes, and, and our legislature, even before Amendment A, had taken steps to legalize it um, as well. Of course, we we're one of the, the last places in the country uh, that uh, to legalize um, industrial hemp. Um, but, you know, I, I think it could be a profitable crop uh, for our ag communities. Uh, and so, so, yes, industrial hemp will also be legal in South Dakota. You know, I guess to maybe transition to some of the mechanics of Amendment A, I mean, you mentioned this earlier, but what, if any, significance is the fact that this was passed in the form of like a constitutional amendment rather than maybe just through a regular initiative process? Right. And we saw this um, about uh, six years back. Um, it was Initiative Measure 22, uh, which was passed by the voters and was really to um, reform uh, ethics uh, amongst our, within our legislature in South Dakota. The legislature didn't like that initiated measure, uh, and so they took steps to actually gut it, to go against the will of the people. And so with, um, with Constitutional Amendment A, the reason why we, we felt so uh, passionately that it was important to put this actually in the Constitution uh, was to make it much more difficult for the legislature to come in and, and go against the will of the people. And I think that that approach has really been vindicated uh, since, since the amendment passed, uh, as we've seen different state legislators talking openly about how they would uh, like to turn this back, how they would like to go against this, but it's difficult for them to do so because we did put it in the form of a constitutional amendment. Brennan, when does the law go into effect? Yeah, so it will go into effect July 1st of, of 2021. Uh, that's when it will be decriminalized. Now, the state has until um, April of 2022 to put the regulatory framework in place uh, so that dispensaries can, can open. Uh, now, we would hope um, that... Uh, uh, the Department of Revenue would act before April 2022 uh, and have those uh, regulations in place. But the reality is, uh, you know, they could slow walk this uh, and push this out uh, even further. Hope that doesn't happen, but but it could. So it will be um, decriminalized um, uh, as of uh, and talking about an ounce or less. Will be decriminalized as of April uh, as of July 1st. Uh, but we may not the stores outside of our tribal communities until April of 2022. You know, you mentioned that there's opposition from some in state leadership um, to Amendment A. I mean, how do you anticipate the legislature and the governor's office handling this? I think that uh, it's entirely possible uh, that state leadership could try to slow down this process as much as they can. Um, to to really um, uh, avoid putting the the regulatory framework in place so that dispensaries can open 
um, next year. I think that they could uh, really take their time with that to slow it down. Um, they could also try to bring some sort of legal challenge um, uh, in uh, to the, the state Supreme Court, try to challenge it that way. Uh, they could try to put it back on the ballot uh, in a couple of years. Um, I don't think that they'll be successful uh, in in those efforts, um, but those are all things that the state could do to try to um, uh, try to go against the will of the people on this. You know, just to talk about some of the potential legal challenges, you know, in, in 2018, Constitutional Amendment Z was passed that is sort of the single subject um, amendment. I think it also addressed, um, you know, some of the movement that was occurring with ballot initiatives. I mean, what do you, I guess, anticipate being some of the legal arguments that might be brought against Amendment A? Yeah, you know, they, they certainly could um, try to bring a single subject. Um, you know, we feel pretty good uh, that this was. Um, and, and looking at, at how this court and courts around the country have interpreted single subject, it's very broad um, in terms of what constitutes a single subject. And we think um, clearly that um, uh, the, the, you know, legalization of cannabis is a single subject. Um, and there's also a severability uh, a section as well uh, in the constitutional amendment. So we feel very good uh, on our on our legal footing on this. You know, I think about some of the other legal ramifications, and, and some of this I think will probably have to be dealt with during the implementation process. But like, how might this affect other parts of the criminal justice system? Like, um, you know, are we going to have to come up with new laws for like driving under the influence of, of marijuana, things like that? You know, we already have laws. Um, you know, of course, you already can be prosecuted for driving under the influence of of, uh, of any substance. Um, so I don't know that that is, is necessary. Um, you know, certainly keep an open mind if, if uh, folks in peer would, would like to have a discussion on changes that need to be made to the criminal code. Um, you know, we would uh, we would be happy to participate in that. Um, but what is not up for compromise uh, is the fact that uh, that this is decriminalized, uh, and the the people have spoken very clearly on that. So you know they're they're obviously you know leave the door open for productive discussions if changes do need to be made to the criminal code. Um, but uh, some parts parts of this you know are just not up for compromise, including the decriminalization of marijuana. You know, what about people who um, you know have past convictions for marijuana possession or, or ingestion? I mean, does this amendment impact them at all? It does not. Um, and in you know, I, I've heard a lot about that, uh, Mike, and I think that there is real interest in having that addressed, um, either by the legislature or if the legislature does not act, uh, that could come in the form of of an initiated measure in the future. Um, uh, but this amendment in and of itself does not address past convictions. You, know, you had spoken earlier about, um, you know, the history of, of enforcement, especially at the federal level, um, uh, of marijuana laws. I mean, marijuana is still federally illegal. I guess what sort of impact does that have, um, as South Dakota moves to set up a regulatory system? I mean, what, what considerations do businesses that want to participate in this new market um, maybe have to consider? 
You know, there are challenges when it comes to, for example, banking. Um, and there are uh, some banks that, that really want to stay away from the industry um, because it is illegal under federal law. And, of course, uh, that creates an environment um, which is not productive. We, you know, ideally you want people to be able to use the banking system uh, for their dispensaries. That's something that, that Congress has spent a lot of time looking at, and I, I hope that uh, that we'll see a resolution to that, perhaps as early as this co- coming congressional session. Um, also, having the FDA uh, look at and, you know, uh, allowing folks to, uh, to have more robust studies when it comes to the medicinal value of, of marijuana and cannabis. Um, so having some of those now prohibitions uh, against marijuana. Um, it's really going to be up to Congress to address those, and we hope that they do. And and really, when you look at uh, how quickly this is expanding uh, throughout the United States, I think it's really just a matter of time, um, per, and I think probably sooner rather than later, till we see Congress uh, get serious about addressing this and, and most likely making it so that marijuana is not a scheduled substance. You know, what was the um i should have looked this up before the podcast what was the percentage that it was it 53 47 or was it 54 46 you know i don't have those exact numbers in front of me mike i would say that somewhere in between it was very close to 53 54 i, I guess it, it's kind of beside the point i mean that's not like a insignificant margin though no um no and i I mean, to just talk about the politics of it for a second, I mean, were you surprised that voters approved Amendment A or because of the work that you had sort of done um, you know, on this issue? Was this something that you expected? It was. You know, we had done some polling ahead of time um, that showed that there was um, really pretty significant support for this. And I think that folks looked at this early on, and they said, well, you know, medicinal will, will pass for sure in South Dakota. And, and the support for that was overwhelming. Um, and, and folks questioned the, the recreational side of it, whether that would pass. But what we were seeing in the polls is that this had real bipartisan support, um, and that you have a lot of Republicans, as well as Democrats, but Republicans um, particularly um, uh, folks with, with more of a libertarian bent uh, who said, you know, I may agree with this, I may disagree with it, but you know what, it's really an individual choice and not one that the government should be involved in. Uh, and then you also have a lot of Republicans uh, who, who agreed with us that, you know, prohibition just does not work. It's not working. 10% of all arrests in South Dakota, I mean, come on. Um, and so we saw that that bipartisan support uh, on uh, on these issues. So we weren't surprised by it. Um, well, Brendan, thank you so much for uh, your time today. You know, we like to ask all of our guests kind of a philosophical question at the end. So this is yeah, we're going to veer great. wildly from from MMA, I guess. Um, but you've kind of had an interesting life. You you, you know talked about um, your dad serving in Congress. You've served um, you know as U.S. Attorney for the District of South Dakota. Um, and you, you've obviously been involved in advocacy efforts, efforts like Amendment A, um, and, and even sort of your life in private practice. You know, but at, at this point in your life, what do you know for sure? What do I know for sure? Um, you know, what I really believe is that people are good, um, and 
we're more divided as a country today than, than we ever have been. And I think that as a result, we often try to um, demonize people who, who disagree with us. Uh, and, and it's difficult, too, when you see so much misinformation, so much disinformation, so much of it put out there intentionally, uh, see, to, to demonize people that, that we disagree with. And, and I think that what could really move the ball forward uh, for us as a country and, and it go a long way to preserving our republic so if we stop questioning each other's motives um, and realize, you know, we can have disagreements on, on policy. And that's good. That's what our country is, is all about. Um, but maybe get back to a time where we, we, we stop with saying, hey, if somebody disagrees with us, they're, they're fundamentally a, a bad person or they have bad motives. Um, disagreement's good. It's part of the process. Um, but we can do that uh, while still being respectful to each other. And I think that's something both as uh, both for Democrats and Republicans to, uh, to keep in mind, uh, you know, because, again, most people are really good um, and, and disagreements are natural and OK. But we can disagree without uh, demonizing each other. Brennan, thank you so much again for your time and thank you for exploring this topic with us. Thanks so much, Mike. I really appreciate the opportunity to visit with you and, uh, and really enjoyed it. So thank you for the opportunity.